Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk. For woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 230 for March 30th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about anti fatigue mats, poor filling, build or buy your first workbench, wood movement in an Adirondack chair, and shop vac versus dust collector versus air filter. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors, of which we have none. So let me just go through our own crap so here. Really quick work. <laughs> yeah. Really quick work. That's it. We're done. That's it. Okay. Uh, check Wait, out. I'm not getting paid today. See you guys. Uh, yeah, just like every other <laughs> day. Uh, check oh, out Mark's right. detailed project videos at thewoodwhisperguild.com. Check out Shannon's Neanderthal offerings over at thehandholeschool.net. Uh, sorry, it's handholeschool.net. i got to be careful how I say that. And uh, <laughs> become a patron of the farts. Or I mean uh, arts. Over at patreon.com slash Workshop. Where the chortles go on forever. Forever. And uh, yeah, it's all good stuff over there. And special thank you to Daniel Fuller, who went to woodtalkshow.com and looked over in that right column, clicked one of the donation links to help us out and support the show. You could do that too. Uh, Let's see what else we got. Woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway is where you can go to win some free stuff. And boy, looking at the calendar, we're pretty close to the end of the month here. So we're going to be picking our first set of winners. So stay tuned for that. And we'll announce those on the show. It's a lot God, of fun. I, there. I win. I hope I win. I, I hope, hope you win I too. Win. Cause you need a new shirt. I've seen the one you've been wearing. It's terrible, frankly, oh, but it looks so good on me. And guys, guess what? I listened what? to both, both of your shows last week. Cause I, I had to, <laughs> cause I had to edit them. <laughs> uh, it was, it, it was a lot of fun. Did you hear the, the little farts I added? Speaking of, uh, uh, patron of the farts did you hear the farts i added to the end of one of them you know i happened to have been eating a burrito while listening <laughs> to the show so i just assumed it was mine was and just owned it <laughs> good job uh but yeah I, I listened to both shows you guys did a fantastic job without me i really enjoyed listening and not being on the show cool now how can we mute you out of this one uh you might need to because i'm still recovering i've lost my voice for like three days and i'm just now kind of getting back on the mend here so if my voice sounds a little bit off that's why um and hopefully i won't have a coughing fit because that seems to be the thing i do now which is great 
Oh, that sounds like a good time. Well, we're just, just glad that you're feeling better. I just want to know when do we get Mateo on the show? When you that way you can sit out. I mean, isn't that why you have kids? <laughs> yeah, you know, as a backup. Do these, he's do always these on deck. Chores and things. <laughs> yeah, you once, know, once he's done cutting the grass, get in and record Wood Talk, Mateo. Come there you on. go. Yeah, if, well, as soon as he could reach that handle, we'll be good to go. Uh, yeah, soon enough. All right, so let's move into what's on the bench. Let's get to talk about woodworking here. Um, for me, plenty of dry time between coats because I'd put on a coat and then I'd get sick for three days. <laughs> And then I come back in, I do another coat and it like, I had the head cold thing and that's what knocked me out on, on Monday's show. Uh, so I did a a coat real quick and, you know, even filmed it and I'm like, Oh, big head cold. I I let this thing dry a little bit longer than usual. And then I like it transferred to my chest and then I had this nasty cough, lost my voice. And then I had another three or four day wait after putting another coat on. So I had plenty of time for these coats of oil to dry. It was great. Uh, but yeah, not, not too much fun going through that. Um, Does you it just have... freak you out to wear a respirator while you're sick? Freaks me yeah, out when awful. you. It freaks me out when you guys talk at the same time. Actually, why? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it, what freaks me out is when I sneeze in my respirator. Ooh. And then I'm like, oh boy, should I disinfect this or do I just pretend like that didn't happen? Just <laughs> no. roll with it. I'm just gonna roll with it. It's my germs. It can't be that bad. Uh, I was yeah. just thinking my thing. Whenever I am say doing like finishing or maybe I'm sanding and then coincidentally. I get sick. I always have that like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it has something to do with what I was just doing. That's the only logical explanation for why I got I'm it from the, sick. I got it from the wood. I did, yeah. Or, or it's, <laughs> it's really bad finish. If I'm sick, everybody else is probably getting sick. Oh, my God, I've just poisoned the whole entire household. Yeah. That's going to probably get out to the neighbors. Oh, everybody's going to be mad at me. And then it turns out, oh, it's just the weather's changing and my sinuses kicked in. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing is I'm finishing up the chest of drawers and nightstands. And I got to tell you, I don't like doing those projects. Chest of drawers, not on my fun list of projects. And I am not sad to see this one leave the shop. In fact, I was really, uh, just because I needed to free up some time between this project and the next guild project, I was working, you know, late nights. And that's probably why I got so sick is because I was running myself into the ground uh, trying to do everything at once. But the good thing was I did get it done and it did free up that time. So as I just got to this like mental state, like, you know what? I don't want to be in the shop. I'm done with it. I need some time away. I maybe had one one or two days away just because of being sick. I was forced away from it. And what do I start doing as I'm like laying on the couch, uh, you know, with no voice? I start daydreaming about shop projects and like, you know, <laughs> I really should come up with something to put my festival rails on the wall and display those so they look easy, accessible and look really cool. Like it's still heartening to me. Like it makes me feel so good that even when I get to my point of annoyance with the shop that all it takes is like a day of downtime before I, I want to get back in there to do those voluntary fun projects. It mm-hmm. just made me feel good. Makes me feel like I made the right choice in life, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So. so woodworking is medicine for Mark Spagnolo. It really is. Yeah. Or at least when I'm feeling good, I want to get back in the shop. So it's uh, it's a good thing. Um, but that's about it for me. Shannon, what about you? Well, I am at finishing stage on uh, four different projects, and oh, I actually boy. planned it this way. I didn't put it off. I thought, you know, I'm going to use the same finish on all of these. It's just wait. That, and there's been this thing called winter that makes it a little difficult for me to finish. Never heard of it. When it's, when it's 12 degrees or 2 degrees or whatever, it's a little tough to finish. And uh, Shannon, just, we are, we're officially in spring yeah, um, so you can't can, use that excuse anymore. Can can you explain that to the local weather then? Because they haven't figured uh, it out yet. Can you explain you that just, to my air just, conditioners that are running for the last two days? Yeah, uh, shut both up. Both of you just need to uh, <laughs> deal with that on your own and okay. figure out a quick fixer. <laughs> 
Well, what it comes down to is I cannot really finish safely uh, in the shop unless I open the garage door. I just can't get ventilation through there. Um, and what really happens is the ventilation that happens, it ventilates into the house. And then the with the mechanical, with the furnace and everything, just the other side of the room, it quickly permeates through the entire house. And then Heather's coming downstairs and screaming at me because <laughs> there's you know, purple what are dancing you doing? elephants. You're using some chemicals. <laughs> I mean, I can just like um, pull out like a rust remover or something like that. And she'll come down seconds later. What are you doing? <laughs> it smells nice. terrible. So it comes down to the point the point where i've just i've got to open the back window of the garage and open the the garage door to get that cross ventilation and it's just been too cold it's been 40 degrees and i just i don't trust the finishes to work very well so i was all prepared to do my finishing this weekend and we had like 65 69 degrees sunny weather on thursday and then it all went to hell after that and it was mm-hmm. like 40 degrees we had flurries all day on saturday so what went from finishing went to just, well, I suppose I could do a little bit more finish prep. <laughs> so it was just me. It was kind of like what Mark was just saying. It was just me in a smoothing plane, just kind of getting a little bit of woodworking medicine, you know, making wispy shavings that I probably didn't need to make because <laughs> everything was ready for finish. But just one more pass with a smoothing plane. It becomes kind of addictive after a while that you keep taking these fun Smooth shaving. So needless to say, everything is really ready for finish right now. Nice. And I just, I got to do it because I know that if I move it out of the shop, it'll be like months before <laughs> it's I bring all it over. back in to finish it. <laughs> it's got to get done now or nothing. So cool. yeah, that's where I am. Good deal. I've always found that uh, those wispy shavings coming off, it's very much like, like a mantra. It's very zen. It's like one more, one yeah. more, <laughs> one more. There you go. How smooth can I get this surface? You know. It should be frictionless by the time I'm done. Or if you're like me, yeah. you go, you know what? I'll just take that one extra pass. Great. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was that a bad idea. <laughs> now I'll take 10 more to try and get rid of that tear out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. What about you? Well, you know, uh, for my own, just like you, Mark, I am at the point now that I am very happy to finish up this uh, tall dresser build. In fact, uh, as of right now, almost all of the drawers are completely assembled the only thing i'm lacking is some plywood to put in the uh the the larger drawers the turns out that what i thought i had was a substantial amount of uh thin plywood off to the side for drawer bottoms turns out to be nada there is none there so i will be making a trip out eventually to get that uh but one issue i just ran into the other day um was the fact that i i we've I think we've talked – we had a discussion a while ago. I'm not sure when it was about Cutlass. I can't remember when, when that happened. Two weeks ago. Uh, something like that, yeah. So uh, while I do not use a Cutlass for the, uh, the finer detail things, I do use it sometimes as a memo pad for myself to remember certain things about what I'm going to do with the project at a certain point. And it turns out that I don't pay attention to those notes either uh, because the larger – drawer fronts that uh, I'm building, they actually need to be approximately eight inches in width. I had no problem with the length, but when I went to cut them to size, I suddenly discovered, wait a minute, my idea of eight inches isn't actually eight inches, which I think is a male problem. Uh, But um, it definitely, it came up at about five and a half inches. No, I'm sorry. It came up at seven inches. That's what it was. So I needed to add um, a little extra uh, material there to make it the, the width that I needed. And I'm like, how did this happen? Did I, uh, how was I so far off? And then when I grabbed my notes, 
aka the cut list. There it was right on there. Remember, when milling material, leave enough so that you can add the extra material to get to the width that you need. So um, I had nobody to blame but myself, but I am finding a way to blame it on our two uh, German for exchange students that are staying with us right Absolutely, now. Absolutely, man. The less yeah. English they speak, the better. It just makes it easier. It is. I think <laughs> they, they converted everything over to metrics, and that's what threw me off. Oh, there you go. You've pinpointed it. Well done. Yes. Yeah. See, <laughs> I knew I would find it. Cold answer. in the shop. Maybe it was just cold in the shop and never shrinking. Everything shrunk. Yeah. There mm-hmm, you go. Mm-hmm. That could be it. That's it. That has to be it. All right. Let's move into what's new. You guys share some cool stuff with us throughout the week, and we like to share that with our listeners. And the first one we have here is from Aaron. He says, this is some turning turning that I haven't seen before. And uh, I didn't actually preview this, but I'm pretty sure I watched it when he sent it. This is the one with the guy who's turning with his feet, right? Oh, the Moroccan guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, and he's yep. just... And this, it, it, from what I watched, he wasn't like... He didn't have to use his feet. Like, I've seen a couple videos of people <laughs> who, like, that's all they had were their feet, so that's why they did it. Right. Uh, but this dude's doing it just because he's like, yeah, look what I can do. I got some, like, <laughs> amazing out. feet. Check these things out. Uh, and he turns some stuff with it. It's actually very, very cool to watch. A lot of fun. Yeah, it was, like, just outside of, like, a little booth or something. So I'm thinking he was multitasking. So while he was making one of the trinkets, he was busy getting the other one sold and then taking the cash and then coming back down, turning over to the side and then grabbing everything else. So, yeah, it was really, really Can you imagine, like, why hasn't, in in human evolution, why haven't we gotten to the point that we can separate tasks that way and, like, have have both of our eyes, each eye does something different? So one one eye can be looking at your customer and the other eye is turning something, focusing on your feet. Why can't we do that? Well, actually, we I, can. I, I have the a problem like is, at work. I just don't know which eye to look at. <laughs> there you go. Well, I was going to say, yeah, that, that's, that we can do that. It's just that the problem is uh, none of the, it makes sense to us. So we'll get the tasks done. It's just that only one of the tasks might actually be decent. Yeah. I, you know, I really, I want to be like a chameleon with like one, <laughs> one eye going one way, one, it freak people go. out. But man, would I be, I would be super efficient at things. See, yeah. I think this guy, he's just a hand tool, a forum hand tool woodworker. You know, some guy said, oh, look, I'm turning this. And then the next guy in the thread said, oh, I'm turning it entirely <laughs> by hand with no power. Yeah. And this guy said, well, I don't use that flywheel it's, stuff. It's I'm using one, a pole lathe. Yeah, it's and one it upsmanship. Exactly. And then it just came down to, well, I only, I turn beads using one hand like Sloyd told us to do. And this guy's like, screw you all. I use my feet. And there you go. It'd be more impressive is if he stopped using actually a turning tool and just used his toenails. Yeah. That well, that'll be, be next. That'll or be the how next about one. his teeth? I'd like to see that yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, that I'm telling you, you, you watch, you go to, I do something like that with a wood net. It's going to happen. Be, that's nothing. I, watch this. I did something like that with a, with some corn cobs when I use my teeth on that one. You put your corn cob in a drill and just put it in your mouth. Well, you know, just a nice big piece of ear. ear, ear of corn, really uh, corn I think ear I just uh, <laughs> think I just got a new idea for uh, barbecue season. Uh, <laughs> there you go. All right, Matt. All right. Well, let's go to this next one. This came in from Dane, and Dane said, "I ha- I happened to run across this video. Don't ask how or why of a guy turning knitting needles from Bubinga. Okay, right there. I am ready to just uh, shut this one down. But I'm let's out. see what. What's going on here? So he says, I think it's a well-done video with a number of interesting techniques I haven't seen before. A 3 inch diameter knitting needle seems like a very challenging thing to turn, which may be why these different techniques are needed. At any, at any rate, though, you guys might enjoy it, and perhaps this can help build a bridge between or our awesome woodworking community and those crazy knitters. Now, I, I don't know if I can go that far, but maybe, just maybe, he left it splintery enough so that when they go to use it, they're going to think twice before messing with us. We can only hope. Yes. That's terrible. We should, get, you know, is. we should definitely get new t-shirts that say something about knitters 
on them. You know what? We should be the better people and reach out to try and cross that. No, never mind. Forget about that. What, Forget about don't it. Don't be so mature. <laughs> All right, Shannon, you're up. Uh, let's see. This came from Sean. He said, I came across this interesting article about a guy growing trees in the shape of chairs. I guess it's time to close up shop. Bummer. So um, I feel like I've seen something like this before. I mean, I know I saw this on the Woodwright shop years ago um, where he did like this. He called it gypsy furniture, Mm. which is probably politically incorrect these days, which is probably why I liked that episode where they he goes out into the forest and like ties up a tree so that it grows in the shape of of like a bow back or whatever. But this guy is literally training the trees to grow around a form so that when you cut the tree down, you you have chair. That's cool. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's like grapevines and things like that. So, or, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like ornamental trees. Mm-hmm. There's a, spe- a special word for that that I learned. I think it's French. I don't know. Ask your exchange students, Matt. Maybe they'll know. They're okay, closer to France than we are. All Europeans are the same anyway. So, yeah, I think they're, they're all the same. They should call it wanderer furniture. That gypsy just seems really rude. Although that's wanderer is not really good because it's a tree, so it's not they not can't going go anywhere. Them. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. good stuff. Very good. Anyway, it's cool stuff. All right. Let's move on to our poll of the week. Our good buddy, Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com does these for us. And uh, I'm not sure we kind of got screwed up with the schedule last week, but uh, let's just resume with last week's poll uh, was what's your go-to finish? And there's a lot of answers to this because there's a lot of finishes, but I'll give you the top one here. Polyurethane and spar varnish got 29% of the votes. And right behind that is 26% oil varnish blends like a Danish oil. So over 50% are using some sort of oil-based finish, either blend or varnish. It's uh, it's quite a majority there. And almost uh, 1,200 people responded to this one. So if you want to go to the post and take a look at how the, the votes played out, uh, but clearly oil is getting the win in spite of the fact that uh, this stuff is harder and harder to get in California and probably soon to be elsewhere too. So what are you going to do? Were there any entries that included stuff like some weird concoction that included at least 50 ingredients? Uh, yes. Something else. Okay. Right. <laughs> How about that one? Uh, and this I only make my own finishes with my feet. There you go. One upsmanship gets us again. Uh, let's see. So this week's poll, if you want to go and answer it at the woodwhisper.com is about tools that you regret and uh, telling stories about it. lots of good stories in the comments where people are sharing their regretful purchases. And most of the time, it seems like the running theme is it's always because I, I bought cheap. Like I, I didn't invest enough money. I was, you know, being a penny pincher at the time and I should have bought a better tool. So I regret it because of that. Um, but you know, isn't it difficult when you're, especially if you're a beginner and just starting out, it's like, how do you make that justification to invest that money early on when you don't even know where this hobby is going to go? And that's why I think so many people, if they're going to answer this poll and, and say why they regret it, it's because they spent too little money and got a cheap tool. But don't we all do that as we're kind of dipping our toes into the world oh, of God, woodworking? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember for the longest time, the, the mantra seemed to be, and I know I was somebody who put this out there. I almost want to go through all my website and uh, remove it, you know, find it, remove it and and com- completely deny I ever said it. Yeah. But it was the whole thing like, you know, buy your buy your second tool first or your last tool first. And it's like, well, I mean, I remember even back then, like thinking, well, how many tools am I going to buy? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I mean, it's easy to say right. if you know you're going to commit to it early on, but a lot of us don't know that right away. Yep. Cool. Yeah. 
All right, let's move into kickback. Got a couple things here. First of all, Jared left a comment at woodtalkshow.com on one of the recent episodes, and he said, first time listener today, enjoyed it. Couldn't help but say that we've had the exact same problem with the 735. I'm assuming he's talking about your planer, Shannon. Yeah, the DeWalt, the 13-inch DeWalt 735. There you go. He DW735. Says, okay, perfect. Oh, I thought he was a pilot. Uh-huh. He said, but the fix is quite easy. You can loosen each of the four spindles independently from underneath the base and spin them so that the heights at each corner are parallel with the table, and then you're good to go. Is that true? Is that the solution to the problem you had? Or- yes, that is true. The only problem is, well, A, I didn't know that at first. I figured that out later on my own. The problem is neither did the DeWalt service rep, and he made it worse. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's nice. just say I have absolutely no problem with that particular planer. It's a great planer. It served me really, really well. I have a serious problem with the service tech at the Black & Decker slash DeWalt place locally. It's um, just terrible that you can't trust like someone who yeah. works for a company. You can't trust their advice. Well, I mean, and I, I'd spent a lot of time. And, uh, you know, what I would say to Jared is where the hell were you <laughs> a year ago yeah because i remember flipping the thing over and everything was so enclosed it was so difficult to get to it and i saw some things on the bottom and frankly i was hesitant to mess with it anymore and in my mind i'm thinking well there is a dewalt service center like down the road from me so i thought you know what i'm not going to mess with this i'm just going to make it worse let me take it to the service center and i paid my 138 dollars to get it fixed and had one board go halfway through before it completely froze up on me again. Hmm. Then I took it back, and the guy insisted that I had broken it and wanted to charge me $480 to fix it. Yikes. This is, I think it's like a 500 and some dollar planer now. Maybe it's 600 now. But it was at that point that I said, no, and how about you refund everything I did before? And I basically left it there for them to use as parts. And I got like 150 bucks out of it and walked out. I mean, wow. It was just terrible. Jeez. So, yeah, it... it He's right. You can, if it gets out of alignment like that, you essentially loosen the post itself and you feed the post up or down until it gets aligned. But yeah, I don't think that would have fixed this one because it had been so screwed up that mm-hmm. I think it had actually started to strip some threads. Oh, so, yeah. okay. It's, it's all right. It's, I have a 20-inch beast now and I'm happy. It sounds to me like actually the DeWalt uh, service tech that you were working with uh, was uh, a plant from Festool. <laughs> and uh, was just Pushing trying to you. make sure that you know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Can I go on a little tangent here? A little story about a, a person not knowing what they're talking about. So, hey, I told you I was sorry and that I was going to get better. <laughs> yeah, at so that was answers. between us. So <laughs> Matt, Matt called me the other night. Um, I went to Home Depot to pick up some quarter inch plywood. I was kind oh, of in a pinch. You could stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing was, now, I wanted. Now, who's really at fault here? The, the Home <laughs> right. Depot guy or you for going to Home Depot? Uh, for clearly plywood. the guy with the expectations, right? So <laughs> I went there just to see because you know what? Sometimes they actually get domestic plywood that's uh, really of decent quality. And I just needed it for something quick, right? So I go in there, I take a look, and of course they have like the super thin quarter inch stuff. It's, it's clearly from overseas. You could tell by the five layers on the top that are all like potato chipped out. So the guy comes over to, to help me out, uh, which was nice of him. And I said, yeah, I was like, you know, the problem is like he went and got a cart and everything to help me get it down because it was pretty high. And I'm like, you know what? While he was gone to go get the cart, I was looking at that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to use this. It's just not worth it because I, you could look at the top. If the top one is curled because there's nothing on top of it. And especially the two or three below it are curled too. 
chances are the ones underneath are going to do the same thing in like two days in my shop. So I sat about, sat there and thought about it and I'm like uh, being lazy, right? Cause I really just wanted to get this over with guy comes back and I'm like, you know what, man, I'm sorry. I, I know you went to get this whole like little cart thingy, but I'm, I'm not going to buy this. I said, I really need this thing to, to start off flat so that it'll have the best chances of staying flat. And he just goes, Oh, quarter inch plywood ain't going to stay flat unless you put something on it or glue it down. And I'm like, <laughs> maybe the quarter inch plywood you sell isn't going to stay flat. Uh, uh, and I, the guy just like kind of treated me like I had no idea what I was talking about for expecting these boards, the, these plywood pieces to be flat. Uh, so I went to Lowe's and believe it or not, they had great quarter inch plywood and it was flat. And yes, I realize most quarter inch stock is going to move a little bit here or there, but it doesn't have to potato chip on you. That's when you buy cheap overseas crap uh, that that happens. So this, uh, this Lowe's as a, as a better supplier, I was able to get a nice sheet of quarter inch ply, did exactly what I needed it to do. And, uh, no one told me that it was going to warp on me on the way home, which was, uh, which was good to hear. So nice. Yeah. Nice. So that happened. You know, you know, what's nice about plywood, good rule of thumb plywood. You truly get what you pay for because plywood, there's no secret to plywood anymore. Mm-hmm. It is. Everyone knows how it's made. No one has any kind of proprietary process or anything like that. Just some people realize that I don't want to be in that cheap market. Yeah. And they have a market for somebody that can pay $180 a sheet for a plywood or $60 a sheet for plywood. If you find, if apples are apples, if you find, say, a piece of red oak hardwood plywood and one is $65 and the other is $45, a corner was cut. Now, it, it might still be a perfectly fine panel, but the only way that you can reduce the cost of that is to cut something out of the mix. You know, most of it is almost entirely automated now, so it's not a labor thing. Um, it's somebody used a different glue. They bought a cheaper veneer. They skipped a, a layer in the core. And it actually makes plywood much easier to buy because if you – Gotta is so Mark, you know you paid X amount for that that panel. Yeah. You know where you got it. If mm. you go back there and the price is different, it's a different panel. Right. Yeah. Well, and the thing it's is it's not a it's not they negotiated a better price or anything like that. In fact, it's never gonna go down. <laughs> it's always gonna go up. But at price. this point, would you say if you're going to a you know reputable dealer, I'm not talking about Home Depot at this point or or Lowe's, if you're going to a reputable reputable hardwood and sheet good dealer. Is it safe to say that you probably are not going to get good plywood for under sixty bucks a sheet, three quarter inch? Absolutely, yeah, no right? question. <laughs> and if you do, and if you do, I mean, there there might be a deal, there might be some reduction that they're trying to move stock. You know, there's always exceptions, but generally speaking, that's kind of how I feel about it. If the price is less than sixty bucks a sheet, I need to be concerned about where it's from and what's wrong with it. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point. So when I was working on the, the dresser today, uh, again, I'm working on, on the drawer boxes. I am using plywood. That's why I went out and I purchased some of uh, the more expensive Baltic birch plywood. I picked it up at uh, my local Woodcraft, which isn't so local. Uh, but a lot of people were kind of, well, I actually had good responses when I first talked about it. Uh, but there are still individuals that it's like, yeah, but you can get like, you know, birch plywood at the local home center. And I'm like, but when you breathe on it and the veneer comes off, you know, that's when it's an issue because when you're looking at all those layers and you can you can't even tell where that first layer stops and it's definitely not you know it's it's not part of the very next layer it's so thin that really worries me but on top of it it's like um and some people will and i've actually had somebody tell me this they're like well you just need to learn how to uh, have better mistake 
covering skills you know, when it comes to like plywood. And I'm like, you know, it's one thing when it's solid wood. I realize that there's going to be issues and I have to fix those and stuff like that. But with, with plywood, often I, I – no. The, the fix is worse than the actual error itself. Like if, if yeah. I have a piece of really crappy uh, home center plywood or wherever it is that I'm getting it from because I've gotten it from a big retailer or a, a, a big uh, lumberyard also – uh, that stuff is just crap, and I don't care how much effort you put into fixing it. It never looks decent. <laughs> so don't forget, yeah. if you want to give us kickback about how we are plywood elitists, you can certainly do that. So and I'm going to get a T-shirt that says that. I'm a plywood elitist. I think we need to be elitist. unapologetic about it. You know, Plywood yeah. is something that the expectation is it's a manufactured product. You're buying it because it's flat. It's consistent. It shouldn't have a whole lot of voids in it. And if you buy cheap stuff, you're going to be dealing with things like voids, thin veneers, delamination, stuff like that. You just got to be careful what you buy. Well, that's even like with with the stuff I was using just now, speaking of voids, that was one of the things I noticed. Okay, so there were some voids that were in there, but they were so minimal. It's like when you get cherry and there's like those tiny little pinhole knots. You know, it's a knot, but you're like... Uh, I don't really notice it so much. That's the way I felt about the one or two voids that I, I ran in. Actually, a few more than that voids that I ran into when I cut this up. They were like so notice not noticeable that I'm just like, mm, I don't even know. Should I hide these? No, eh, yeah. I don't need to. So I was right. going through Facebook uh, the other day, and you know uh, Jay from Jay's Custom Creations. Yes, uh-huh. he posted a little video update that I, I happened to see as I was scrolling by, where he was just really like upset because all of these project parts he had milled up and taken all day to work on. They just kind of like, they just fanned out like an accordion. Um, the laminations on them just, I guess once he started to split the boards and the panels down, uh, whatever was holding the whole thing together just gave way. And all of these project pieces were just fanned out like accordions, uh, and a bunch of different strips, just absolute garbage. I don't know the history of, of that situation. Um, but that's the kind of thing that can happen sometimes. Well, and you know what, that can actually happen even with a, a, you know, a decent piece of plywood, you might just get bad luck where one panel just was a lemon, right. um, in which case you can go back and say, I want my money back. Uh, but which, yeah, which was, is another thing that affects the price. Yeah. The, the quality control and the consistency of the panels sure. and the stress testing they do. If it delaminates, if you get a lemon, it's probably a cheaper panel. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's just funny because there is, there's a bit of a movement, at least in the, in the wholesale industry and in the commercial industry, towards that it's kind of mirrors like the boutique hand tool movement where you get these plane makers charging $1,800, $2,500, $6,000 for a plane mm-hmm. because it's like there is a market for it. So if money was no object and you could manufacture like the best of the best of the best, what would it look like? And we've actually uh, now, because we do so much business with uh, large multi-million dollar yacht builders, and let's face it, I mean, they're putting all this teak on the boat and they spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on the teak and it's still a small percentage of the total cost of the boat. Mm-hmm. I mean, the lumber is such a non-issue as far as what things actually cost. So if they're looking at $150 for a sheet of plywood or $260 for a sheet of plywood, it makes very little difference in the grand scheme of things. So we've got more of these manufacturers coming to us saying, it, actually, I want a better sheet. Wow. You know, well, cool. it's going to cost this much. It's going to cost it. I don't care. I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to deal with it. So, um, like I posted a, a little video the other day of this, um, Marine grade stuff that is a hundred percent Sapili. Every, there is no face veneer. Every layer is exactly the same thickness. It's, um, two millimeters thick or 1.5 once it's, it's sanded and pressed and dried 1.5 millimeter thick. That's a seriously thick 
veneer. Yeah. And they're all exactly the same species. Um, and it is quarter sawn, single piece quarter sawn. So a four foot wide quarter sawn piece. There is no seam. Damn, dude. That's crazy. And that's both awesome. faces. Both faces are wow. quarter sawn. Now, why in the world would you need both front and back to be quarter sawn? Because Rarely you're awesome. do you have a panel in the middle of a room that you see both sides. I would now. But, but <laughs> right, exactly. I want it now. I mean, <laughs> my new screen. no rhyme or reason to why they would build the panel this way yeah. other than we wanted the best of the best of the finest veneers and everything you have. And yeah, it's a $240 a sheet panel. But and it's so cool to see this stuff. You're starting to see um, she, uh, panels that come in with this incredible core with like the finest faced veneer, like luthier grade curly maple one piece veneer on the front. Wow. Because that's what the customer wants. It's like, that's so cool. I can I'll never tell you, I'll tell you why they project, but cool. I'll tell you why they want the, the amazing faces on both sides, because they probably have one or two individuals in the shop that never pay attention to where the panel is supposed to be. And this makes it foolproof because it will always be the best side. I'm sure that's exactly what, what it is. Actually, there's probably some merit to that. And I got to say, this was a, a great logical tangent to a kickback about a planer. Sweet. Okay. How we got perfect sense. <laughs> what an interesting way to get there. Um, all right. So we got perfectly a, into our next kickback. Yeah, exactly. So we've, we do have a couple more kickbacks. These are voicemail kickbacks. So the first one here is from David providing a bit of a public service for us. Hello, this is David. And I know that every once in a while, a nice clamp goes on sale somewhere and everybody freaks out. So I was wondering if you guys knew, uh, anyway, here in Kansas City at Home Depot, they brought in four packs of Bessie F clamps, uh, two six inch and two 12 inch, and they just didn't sell. So now they are reduced to uh, $10 a pack. So basically you're paying like two fifty per clamp. So I myself bought 11 packs. So I just thought other people might want to go buy them out before they disappear. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, I actually picked up four of those in my area. I picked up the last four. In fact, I just walked up with the case that they came in and said, I'll just take this. Oh, you want the case back? <laughs> hey, you know what? If you like this, is I just great. stole those out of Matt's back seat. <laughs> there you go. Uh, by the way, if, if anyone else has sale announcements and things like this, you find good deals that might be nationally uh, applicable send them in. This is fantastic. I would love to do more of this. If people uh, find a good deal or stuff that's been closed out, let us know about it. I think that's awesome. And I can't wait till somebody two years from now goes, uh, Hey, do you have uh, the link to where I can get that? <laughs> yeah. Right. Why are these links not working for me? Uh, yeah, all right. Keep it woodworking related. If you can, we don't want to hear if like bread's yeah. on sale or something. I don't know. It was a I can like, of like peas that was kicked in on the side. It's $2 <laughs> off. Scratch and dent sale at the local shop, right? Uh, all right. Next one is from somebody who lives in Atlanta because I couldn't hear his name. Hey, guys. Vinny in Atlanta. Big fan of the show. Hey, regarding dust collection, just wanted to mention uh, my little shop buddy, the Roomba Robotic Vacuum. Um, a little pricey. I think I paid 500 bucks for mine. But every time I run them, I'm not in the shop. You can uh, program him on a timer. All right, that's a little rough to listen to. Maybe it's my headphones, but that's hurting my ears, literally. <laughs> um, rough connection there. But he is talking about Roombas in his shop, and I know Vic 
Our good buddy Vic has done this in his shop. I guess he had a couple from the house that he just retired. So he's got them like these little robot vacuum cleaners running around his shop. And he says he loves them too. Uh, Do you guys remember a while ago? I think they came out with one that was like garage friendly. No, I I would would love one. Yeah, I would too. I think my shop would kill it though. (laughs) That's true. I don't think it would handle like big shavings and like scrub plane shavings and things somehow. I want to, I want to see Alex riding it. That would be funny. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> um, I'm looking on Amazon. It looks like there are a couple new and used. It's not something where, where they actually have it from Amazon. You have to find these other sellers, but it's the iRobot dirt dog and the used ones are running, geez, like $697. So I don't, I don't wow. know. I'm not, you know, saying you should go buy this. I'm just saying things like this are out there and it's working for Vic and clearly working for it in Atlanta. And, uh, it sounds like a neat idea. I mean, I, like you said, it might get clogged up now and then, but what a cool way to just get some of that ambient dust that just settles on the floor. Um, that's pretty cool. Does it go up the walls and everything? Cause that'd be, oh, really that would be fantastic. You realize how much dust just over the years gets stuck on those walls. That yes, I do actually. Well, yeah, you I did your shop uh, renovation, re- and you got yeah, to discover when I redid that. the shop. It was a little disturbing. Yeah, and you're just walking around, and like anything you drop or go put near the wall probably puts this cloud of really nasty fine dust into the air, and that's no good. That's bad. Well, good stuff, Roomba. The robots are going to take over our shops right now. There you go. All right, so let's uh, let's move into our actual voicemail questions, and this first one comes from OCD Woodworker. Hey guys, this is the OCD woodworker from Cheshire, Connecticut. Uh, I have a question about anti-fatigue mats. I'm currently looking to add some to my shop as it's in the basement and uh, that concrete floor isn't too soft. I've got two samples here. One is five-eighths thick, the other is three-quarters thick. The three-quarters thick is a little spongier and I was just kind of curious if you had any advice on spongy versus less spongy anti-fatigue mats. Um, any info is definitely appreciated. Thanks a lot. All right. What say you gentlemen, spongy versus non-spongy anti-fatigue. Do you have a preference? Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Thank um, you. I have, now that I have we've clarified a, that a, a non-spongy one. Actually, I have a couple of them around the workbench mm-hmm. and they work just fine when I'm for kind of moving around and changing position a lot, but I have a really spongy one that sits um, in front of my joinery bench where I don't move. I'm standing stationary, like if I'm carving or something like that. I I used to have it in front of my lathe too before I got rid of the powered lathe. Any place where you're standing the exact same position for a long period of time, I found the spongy works much, much better. But if you're moving around a lot, the spongy actually ends up being more fatiguing because obviously you've got a little bit more compression and you know, your ankle probably rolls a little bit more and yeah, walk, in an walking to, in uh, sand effect kind of thing. Right. right. Exactly. So the, the, cause I've got a, I want to say it's one inch thick, like super spongy mat in front of the joinery bench. And it's awesome. It's so, it's like walking on a cloud, except standing on a cloud rather. Uh, that's actually, uh, by the way, Matt's wrestling name in high school was uh, super spongy mat. Yeah, it was, I was, I was just going to, I was, I was going to send you a picture of me in my, in my singlet. Beat you to it. The, the Nacho Libre picture that someone photoshopped for us. Oh, this, this is a different one. This is with the uh, cheesier mustache. Oh, okay. There you oh, go. Nice. Very cool. You know, I agree wholeheartedly. 100%. I like a spongier thing when I'm standing still, you know, so near the workbench is a, a good place to have that or at the lathe and everywhere else. I do like it to be a little bit more firm because I might be rolling tools over it. 
uh, which can be difficult to do if it's uh, if it's too spongy. And just you know what, you don't really need a whole lot of give for it to make a huge difference in your comfort level. So a lot of people think like you get the ones that are made from old tires and it's very, very dense rubber. You think that that might not be good enough, like the kind you might find in a gym. So people are dropping dumbbells on it and stuff like that. You might think that's not good enough, but it actually is. If you're there all day long, you don't want too much uh, squishiness, but having that nice firm, just a a little bit of squishiness, I think is perfect for for long, long time periods in the shop. But just like Shannon said, standing still, I like to have a little bit more give. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think I, that I agree the other key element that I often forget about is um, kind of the surface texture on it. Mm. Um, if it doesn't sweep up easily, it's a real pain in the butt. Yeah. And granted, you can vacuum a lot of the stuff away, but if the mat itself is so light that the vacuum sticks to it and pulls it across the floor and everything, that gets really irritating. I put down some of those like puzzle piece tile things mm-hmm. that, um, frankly, I found them at um, a five below, like the $5 version of the dollar store. So I was like, Oh great. I got a whole bunch of them. And I started laying out and there have that like diamond pattern texture on them. Like you get in those, like, oh, yeah. I know those truck boxes or whatever. Right. And it's awful. All it does is trap dust and chips and stuff. And when you try to sweep it, it just like grounds them in deeper. So I had got to get rid of them. So there is something to be said about the harder mats. They sweep up better too. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, the, that's, one, that's the ones that I have are the, the ones you just described. Uh, you know, years ago, and it was so funny because I was coming back from one of the woodworking in America's Chris Schwartz, uh, mistakenly gave me credit for suggesting this, but, uh, horse mats, like yeah. the ones that I guess stall they put mats, them in. Right? Yeah. Stall mats that they, they, I, they were suggested. And I guess I, I believe he went on to use them or a lot of other people suggested them too. Uh, so whatever consistency those are, uh, there's a number of individuals that really like them. Unfortunately, I should have just kept my mouth shut and took credit for it, but it was not me. It had to be a different mat, uh, probably not as good looking as me, but it was a different <laughs> mat that suggested that. So that is one thing I, I'm, I haven't heard if they stopped using the horse mats. I know there's a lot of horse play over there, but yeah, those, those are definitely a good option for sure. Uh, for me, I went with a uh, rubber flooring ink. I think the company is called it's actual flooring company that makes the stuff for gyms and it's from recycled tires, a little bit pricey, but when I had a lot of ground to cover, I wanted something consistent. I wanted something very durable. It was going to last a long time. So it you know, cost a little bit more. Um, but ultimately it gave me a lot of coverage and it's super durable. Um, I can't necessarily roll super heavy stuff on it. It will kind of, it still buckles up to some extent, but definitely most of the things that I have on mobile bases are pretty good at rolling over it. Uh, I don't have too much of a problem with it. So, and, and while I know that the conversation was all still about uh, just the anti-fatigue mats, there really is something to be said about a good pair of shoes. That's really true. When it comes down to it. You that know, is very true. Uh, I, I had a, re- a new pair that just recently came in. And to be quite honest, it's like one of those things. I, I use them today. I've used them the past couple of days and really making a concentrated effort to stay off of uh, my anti-fatigue mat that I have. And uh, surprisingly, they work really well. So I'm really curious to see how long they last yeah. because – Quite a few people actually had responded to a post I put up about them uh, mentioning the uh, inserts that you can get, the anti-fatigue – or not anti-fatigue inserts, but just a good shoe insert itself goes a long way too. So Mm -hmm. definitely – Something not to discount because you can't you can't buy mats for every part of your shop like it's totally unrealistic and you've got to walk between mats you know from mat to mat so yeah the shoes is actually probably the first thing to invest some money in either get get some in like inserts or 
if you want to mention, I know there's a specific company that you're, you're wearing, Matt, if you want to mention who they are, but yep. I've got a set of, um, someone recommended this to me. Can't remember if it was Tim or shoot. I can't remember or Steve or somebody, somebody with a name like that. Um, <laughs> The, oh, the, the company was called Gravity Defier. Okay. And they make running shoes and they've got a whole thing uh, how they construct and it's a, it's very weird to get used to it the first 24 hours or the first, you know, day, I should say, wearing these sneakers it was a little bit weird. But then you get used to it and you find that as soon as you take them off, you actually feel more spring in your step when you're not wearing a shoe because it's got that arch support in there. Yep. So I've been using those in the shop and they have been fantastic. So who's the company you you're wearing now? It's uh, Keen, K-E-E-N-E. And uh, it was funny because when I was looking at it, the original pair I was looking uh, to purchase or, or to, to get from them was a sample they sent me were going to be ones that were actually made for uh, kitchen workers uh, because one was uh, anti-slip, which anytime you're working around sawdust is a big issue. Mm-hmm. And then two, just the fact that uh, kitchen workers are on their feet all the time. And again, I'm sure there's uh, anti-fatigue mats in kitchens, but they're probably running back and forth between everything. So just like nurses, if anybody's going to know what's going to be good on your feet, it's definitely going to be kitchen workers. Sure. Uh, but they were able to actually help me find one that is probably more suited for working in a shop so uh yeah with they're really really nice fit super comfortable and uh actually after using them today for about six seven hours straight uh, uh standing on my hard surface this is probably one of the first times that my my back hurts now because i feel like i'm getting better posture for uh maybe those yoga lessons i've been taking but that's the only reason so so when you're done here are you gonna go upstairs and play short order cook for your uh your new house guests uh, well, right now my my daughter is doing it, but I have a feeling I'm gonna have to run up with a fire extinguisher pretty soon. Which so. new restaurant <laughs> shoes? Cheeseburger, cheeseburger. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do the next voicemail we got here uh, from David, and this uh, is a question about pore filling. Hi guys, this is David from Kansas City. First of all, uh, thanks for the show. You guys do a great job. Got a question for you about pore filling. Working on a mahogany jewelry cabinet, and I want a really high gloss shine on it. So what I was going to do was uh, pour fill the wood first, as I've seen on uh, you guys' show and many other forums before. So I used a water-based pour filler and uh, pushed it in, worked it into the pores as directed. Got done, sanded it off, and now it doesn't look like anything's happened. So my question for you is this. Is there something that I don't understand about pore filling? Did I not get the sanding dust out of there enough? I thought I did. But as far as I can tell, uh, mahogany that's had a pore filler done on it and mahogany that hasn't, because I've done a couple test boards, doesn't look any different to me. Can you guys help me out with this? Thanks a lot. All right. I'll, I'll take this one real quick if you guys don't mind. Um, sounds like he's sanding a little bit too much there. And one reason you can do that is because if you're using a water-based filler, it kind of binds with the wood fibers to an extent. It absorbs into the surface. So by the time you sand it away, like visually, so you can see that you've removed it all, you're actually sanding into the wood. And in a lot of cases, that means you're going right past it and into the, the, the area where you've actually filled the pores and exposing new raw wood again. So that is uh, partially one of the reasons why a lot of people will seal the surface first before doing the pore fill. So put down maybe a layer of de-waxed shellac first 
and then apply the pore filler. And now you're just filling the pores and you've got a little bit of a protective layer there. So as you're sanding it, you may want to lay off a little bit, lay off of the random orbit sander and go to a hand sanding method for this. But you could very carefully sand down and you could see when you have a little bit of breathing room now from when you see you've gone through the filler and now you've exposed the wood underneath, you, you have a warning sign to stop. And if you go too far, yeah, you could sand through that shellac and right into the wood, but it buys you a little bit of time and a little bit of a warning sign. So my recommendation would be to try to seal first uh, and then apply the filler. The other thing is you may want to look at other types of fillers. They're, they all kind of behave a little bit differently. So you may try a different brand or something that's not water-based. You might find that that works a little bit better for your purposes. Um, and yeah, let's see if there's anything else I'd recommend. I had something else. It was on the tip of my tongue. You heard it there. I was juggling it around. I don't remember it anymore. Really, really good. Yeah. I, I'm glad you're the one that took that because I was thinking the only pore filling I've ever done in my videos is when I accidentally wipe my face after doing some sanding. <laughs> nice. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the other thing was you sometimes have to do more than one coat. You know, it doesn't always go in in one shot. So depending on what you're doing, you may have to do uh, two to three fills before you actually see a full true pore fill. All right, let's move into emails. I got the first one here from Jim. He says, I'm debating about purchasing, uh, basically, I don't know, what is that? How do you pronounce that, guys? Joburg? Yeah, Shannon, Sherberg. you're the expert. That's right. According Sherberg. to, we actually got some feedback on your uh, Swedish, uh, I guess, on Wood <laughs> yeah. Talk Show. Someone left All a comment. All those years of watching The Muppet Show really paid off. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got some approval there, which was great. Anyway, a nice, uh, it's 1425 workbench. I do some woodworking as a hobby, primarily small tables, planters, lamps, etc., and I'm hoping to continue to grow my skills. I already have several tools, table saw, drill press, etc. The conundrum is, that's a lot of money to spend on a workbench, or would it be better served buying something less expensive? I really enjoy your show and uh, have learned a lot from listening to you all kick around the topics. Thanks for your input. Well, Jim, this is something that I have a you know pretty strong personal opinion on this. When it comes to workbenches, I think you should build your own. I, th I think it's a shame to buy one. I mean, there's there are people who are in a financial situation where uh, I guess time is more valuable than money to them. So it's easier to just buy one, be done with it and be able to build stuff. But the joy of building a workbench and the pride you feel in your workbench is kind of part of the journey to me. So I think it's really important that you do build your own. And if you're not ready to build sort of the, the workbench that you marry, then just grab some plywood, sandwich it together to make a top, build a stand, put on a quick release vise, and you still made your bench. It's still going to work just fine. It's going to make, you know, those projects that you're building, you could still build those with a plywood top on a workbench. But I feel like you need to build up to it. And then eventually, when you know what you want out of a workbench, you can do the research and build your own from top to bottom. Um, if you really are, you know, hell-bent on buying one, sure, that, that seems like a, a nice workbench. But I think it's a shame. I think as a woodworker, I think you'll get much more out of the experience. You'll get you'll get some skills, you know, some practice with skills that you may not have touched on before. Um, I'm way in favor of making your own. And even if it's just a cheap version to get you by now, um, I think in the long run, that's the best way to go for me personally. You guys think... I don't want to disparage anybody who buys one, so I don't want to make this a pile on um, because I know both of you have built your benches as well. Um, but do you think that's the best way to go for something like this? I am actually kind of uh, uh, I, I'm torn on this one because yeah. I have to admit that um, uh, plate 11 workbenches, I am totally torn on the idea of of getting one because it's a it's a beautiful Rubo. It's based on the whole Rubo style. You could even get a kit where everything is kind of pre-made you'd have to do a little bit of finessing so you would get that experience of putting it together but i do 
I share kind of that that whole idea that man, I really want it to be something that these two hands, which are right in front of me, uh, are, are the ones that created this whole thing. So, it, this is going to be a scenario where ask me on what day it is, and then I'll, I'll give you the answer. <laughs> Today, it is definitely the I want to build my own. Yeah, right. What do you think, Shen? Well, I've actually had a I had a pretty long email discussion with Jim. Uh, this was months ago when this question came in, and just the the background. He is hell bent on buying his own. He just he's of the other mindset. He's kind of like me when it comes to restoring tools. Just doesn't want to do it. Yeah. Just not interested in that. That is not part of my woodworking experience, and that's just how he was. A workbench was is just another tool for him. And he's like, you know, I've looked into making them and I just don't want to do that. He also has a fair amount of experience woodworking, like a couple decades and kind of really knows exactly what he wants to do. And that is, um, well, as he said, small tables, smaller projects. And he was laying out the different workbenches he was looking at. And I, I actually told him to, to make this move because the other ones he was looking at were just spindly and kind of like, our earlier conversation, you get what you pay for. Yeah. And there's um, some crap out there for pre-made workbenches. And, and this was kind of a really good bench for the price. And the next step from that would be like two times, three times more than that. Sure. Like the plate 11 workbenches. So if you've got several thousand dollars to spend on a workbench, that's the direction you want to go. That's not where he wanted to be. He was falling around the uh, 1500, I think. So for what he got, um, and the key with this um, Schoberg bench is that it came with a lot of stuff. Like the vice that it comes with was pretty decent. I mean, that was a couple hundred dollar vice in and of itself. Mm-hmm. All the of the bench dogs, right? all of the storage, all all kinds of other little accessories that easily would have added up to about $600. Then uh, a steamed birch solid wood top. So it, it was actually a pretty good deal. Um, and I, I laid it out very clearly because I've worked on these benches before. The The local woodcraft, before it went out of business here, had these benches and I spent a little bit of time on them. So I told them exactly what the the fallback was and how you would fix it. And a lot of it is these are kind of spindly and they walk around, but that can be solved easily with a you know sandbag or uh, bolt the whole thing down to a sheet of plywood and stand on the plywood. And suddenly the bench is heavier by however much you weigh, which is really nice. Um, so he was in that mindset that, yeah, I'd love to make my own, but I just don't care. I don't want to, (laughs) um, for me, Mark, I fall in your camp. Um, I got so much enjoyment out of building my Rubo and now every day that I use it, it's like, I built that. That's right. I built that. Yeah. It's just cool. And for me, the, the Rubo workbench is a lifetime workbench. I'm not going to build another one. Um, but if you're just getting started, and that's the the other key thing I say with Jim is he's not just getting started. He's been doing this a while. If you're just getting started, I do think um, building uh, your own bench and kind of figuring out what you want to do before you decide on that Rubo or that Nicholson or whatever the, the bench du jour is, uh, is a good idea because you don't really know what you need until you've kind of fooled around for a while. So go buy a couple sheets of plywood or some framing lumber or something and cobble something together that's a flat surface and you're good to go. Yeah. Uh, just for the record, that's what exactly I have at the moment, even though exactly. I haven't. I've got the uh, the maple sitting there waiting to do it. And that, that's a lot of it too. Is I, have, I have, as I said, depending on what day it is, I kick it back and forth. And there are days I'm like, I'm ready to jump into this. I've got the maple. Let's go ahead and start this. And there's other days I'm like, 
Man, that's a big adventure. <laughs> that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it really is a lot of work. Well, then to to sort of, for anyone else who's in the market, I don't want to downplay the original point of the question. Uh, we're looking at basically $1,400 for the 1425. And one one that I've just kind of, it's come across my path a number of times is Lee Nielsen has what they call their studio bench, uh, mm-hmm. which has a nice four inch thick top on it. Looks really well made. Probably, uh, if I'm looking comparatively, looks like the base is probably a little bit more sturdy. Um, than the other one that's priced at $1,800 and it does not come with the amount of storage that the other one comes with, you know? So Mm. I think even with, even if the legs are a little bit thinner, once you load those cabinets down with, with stuff, you're probably going to have no problem uh, keeping that bench in one place. It's not going to move around much. It's amazing how stuff weighs you down after a while. Yes, it do. All right. Uh, I think we beat that one to death. So Shannon, you're up. All right. This comes from Dave. He says, in my earlier woodworking days, I made several Adirondack chairs as gifts for family. These were all the Norm Abram design, which involved quite a few stainless steel bolts. Norm! Now, and, and I've made, I think, last count, 16 of those. So, yeah, very familiar with this design, Dave. Um, let's see. Now, I'd like to make some for myself. But my woodworking has progressed, and I'd like to eliminate the bolts altogether and use mortise and tenons. My question is, in an outdoor piece of furniture made out of cedar, is this a wise choice? Will the wood move so much as to blow the mortise and tenon joint out? Any other thoughts on using traditional joinery on a chair like this? So, um, first of all, cedar, good choice. Um, Western red cedar actually has a tangential movement percentage of only about 5%. Western red cedar is a very stable wood. It's not going to move that much. And being very familiar with this design and just Adirondacks in general, I really don't think it's something you need to worry about because you're not dealing with super thick boards or super wide boards. Remember, wood movement is a percentage. So if we take that 5% um, movement, tangential movement for cedar and take uh, what? The slats are about three inches wide, two and a half inches wide. You know, 5% of that is very, very little. Um, they're just not going to move that much. So examine where those mortise and tenon joints would be, probably the slats into some sort of seat, uh, maybe the, the, um, that little support that goes behind the, the seat, the back slats, into the arms, uh, a tenon through the, the, from the front legs into the, the arms itself. None of those pieces is big enough that you really have to worry too much about the movement. The other thing is, is the wood is out in the elements. Um, it, it's not going to, it's, how can I put this? It's not indoor furniture. <laughs> You're not going to put like a super, super fine finish on it. No matter what you do, the finish, the wood is going to gray. Um, the finish could possibly crack depending on what you use. It's going to look like it was rained on. So if a small gap opens up in the joint somewhere, it's outdoor furniture. You know, it's going to happen. There's nothing you can do that will prevent that. The key is making strong joinery. I would probably put some sort of mechanical element like a wedge tenon or a peg through the tenon, draw bore or something like that so that when those things open and close, the joints don't loosen. And that's what the nuts and bolts and screws do for you outside. But, you know, things are going to happen to this thing as it gets rained on and snowed on or whatever. And you, it will not be as... Uh, gap free and you know beautiful as it was the day you made it so just Mm. accept that and move on um you know just the thing about western red cedar the interesting thing is it really it really depends you need to check the moisture on these things because i built that rustic outdoor table 
out of Western Red Cedar. And a lot of times the material that I get, it's been here for a while. So most of the time, even if it comes from somewhere else, I can have faith that even if it's in my shop for you know a couple days and I start working on it, that I'm not going to have any major movement issues. Well, apparently this Western Red Cedar that I had left in my shop for weeks before I started using it, and I couldn't really detect any like substantial moisture in the surface. Like, you know, when you're working with a really wet wood, you can, you can kind of feel it. Um, mm-hmm. This stuff was just typical. Like there was nothing unusual about it. It shrunk over the over the length, or I'm sorry, the width of this t- uh, tabletop that I had shrunk over a half inch. Whoa. And so when wow. you look at the breadboards, there's a good solid quarter inch uh, overlap on each end. So it really was not ready. Now, granted, very special situation for me because I'm in Arizona. So wherever someone else is, maybe there's more moisture outside. But just the act of taking these boards, putting them out in the wild outside and just letting them do their thing. There was a huge amount of, of shrinkage. And I don't think this is to say that, you know, to, to refute what you're saying about Western Red Cedar being stable. I think it just means that there was a lot of moisture in there that I didn't intend on. So just putting pieces outside a lot of times with all that air movement that takes place outside can cause even wood that seemed to be stable to shrink even more than you expected it to. So just kind of keep that in mind when you build things for, for the outdoors that just the conditions of being outside are indeed very different uh, than what's what you have inside. Yeah, direct sunlight is nasty. Yeah. You know, it's oh, not yeah. about color change. It's about drying the wood out really, really, really fast. Yep. And and actually, the caveat that anyone should add with Western Red Cedar, yes, it's a stable wood, but no, often it is not dried very well. <laughs> exactly. Uh, because yeah. it's meant to be used as an exterior wood. Mm-hmm. And kiln drying, with the exception of Mark's neck of the woods, kiln drying an exterior wood is not a good idea because um, it, it's going to go up in, in moisture. Most places in this country, 6 to 8% moisture is not natural. <laughs> the equilibrium is usually quite a bit higher. Around here, it's about 10%. So if you take a 6% wood and stick it outside, it's going to soak up a lot of stuff and it's going to move on you. So an air-dried wood usually is sitting close to equilibrium moisture content or sometimes around 12 to 18%. And it's much more spongy and flexible and it won't move so dramatically. Mm-hmm. So Western Red, being that it's usually used for you know shingles and cladding and stuff like that out in exterior projects, is rarely kiln dried unless you buy the specific grade uh, for that. So right. uh, we you, that table you're talking about, was that two by material? It was like eight quarter stock. Yeah. Sorry. Thickness. Um, the thicker stuff rarely is kiln dried. So in what you're dealing with was probably an 18% moisture that you stuck outside and got all crazy. Well, see, that's the thing. Normally I would feel it, I just, it, but it definitely had to have had more moisture than I typically see with my stuff. So yeah, well, smart it thing sheds to do, moisture pretty quickly. Well, um, the, 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 the lesson learned the here, layers. if I use this stuff again, I'm not going to store it in my shop while I'm waiting to work on it. I'm going to keep it outside while I'm yeah. waiting to work on it, let it air out there and kind of get used to those conditions before I work on it. Yeah. Put it in the sunshine for a couple Days. Ah, and enjoy <laughs> the cr- enjoy the cracks that develop. Uh, <laughs> all right, Matt, you're up. All right. Well, this one came in from James, and he says, uh, "Oh, where'd it go? Oh my gosh, I just lost it." I Hold am on. looking to take control of the dust. <laughs> okay. my sh- yeah, like- here it is. I'm looking to take control of. I, I my mouse got crazy on me, and I suddenly threw the thing way to the top. So James says, "I'm looking to take control of the dust in my shop. The only dust collection I currently have is a small, less than one horsepower Rikon dust collector with a four inch port." and a beat-up old craftsman's shop vac. As with most, almost all woodworkers, money is limited, so where would a hybrid woodworker get the biggest bang for their buck? 
Here are the three options I can think of. Upgrading my shop vac, upgrading my dust collector, or purchasing a dedicated overhead air filtration system. My gut tells me that the overhead system would impact the entire shop for very little extra money, but I do not see many woodworkers that actually use them. So perhaps they're not really that effective. So uh, which one do you would you get the most bang for your buck? In my opinion, it's the dust collector itself. I happen to have all three of these devices. I have a shop vac, I have the dust collector, and I have the overhead air filtration system. Uh, and for sure, without a doubt, uh, my opinion when it comes to dust collection in the shop is you want to grab as much of it as possible at the source. So this means if you need to have a larger dust collector so that it can suck more of the sawdust out of the big tools that you have, uh, that's what you need to go I one reason why I had the overhead air filtration system was I was really thinking that this would be something that would uh, complement the, the dust collection system really, really nicely, and and it does. But this is what I usually do with my overhead uh, system: is when I go to leave for the day, that's when I tend to turn it on. Uh, if I'm doing some heavy uh, work with, say, when I'm sanding, or oftentimes when I'm I'm using my router, which I then have to turn to my shop vac to collect my sawdust. Uh, but it always seems to kind of throw uh, some fine dust up in the air. That's when I turn on the overhead one. So really, in my opinion, I think if you need, if, if you're looking to upgrade one of these, the central dust collection system is the one to go to because you may actually discover that there, while there still will be fine dust in the air, if you're able to collect more of it right at the source, uh, the the big tool, whatever it is that you're using, uh, it's not nearly as thick of a cloud as it might be right now <laughs> cool you know back to the beginning of this the the tool purchases you re- regret yeah poll the tool purchase <laughs> i regret is the one horsepower dust collector because oh, the difference God, yes. between one horsepower and 1.5 was night and day it was huge i had a delta one horsepower for years and I just thought that's what dust collection was supposed to be like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had a contractor table saw and their dust monsters, and I had a compound miter saw and those dust monsters, and it's just the way it's supposed to be, right? Well, I got a, a one and a half horse, and it, it was oh my god, what just happened? Like I changed <laughs> nothing, um, and I was collecting at the at the source and everything, and it changed nothing, and it was a major major uptick in in collection. And then mm-hmm. I actually got serious about closing off the table saw and everything, and it was even better. But yeah, it's amazing what a difference the half a horse does. Well, and the higher well, quality collectors can come with uh, better bags too that that you know collect yeah, the finer true. stuff as well, which is kind of a big deal. I was going to say also even the hoses because if you have a hose that when when the suction turns on, regardless of what size uh, of motor you're working with, but if that if that hose suddenly starts collapsing on itself, um, yeah. that, that doesn't really help out quite a bit. So it tends yeah, to constrict the airflow when the hose collapses <laughs> just a bit. Right. Exactly. So that's another thing to to think about too. So yeah, Um, for sure. The other thing I'll say, because I just went through this about the overhead filter system, I think probably the reason you don't see many people using them is for what Matt just said. You turn it on, set the timer and leave. Um, It does a great job, but it doesn't do a good job if you don't ever change the filter. And Mm -hmm. in many of those, there is an exterior filter and an interior filter. And actually, Matt, I emailed you this a while ago. I was having real trouble with my jet air filter and i was actually thinking about getting rid of it because it takes up so much space right uh, because i have mine mounted on the wall because i only have eight foot ceilings and i'm six four and it's like a two foot tall (laughs) air filtration system you do the math not a good idea so i I was actually thinking about getting rid of it and 
you know, I thought, you know what, let me, let me, cause it does, a, it does a great job. It really cleans stuff up. Um, and, uh, I pulled off the exterior filter and I was like, you know, it's pretty good. Vacuumed it and everything. I have one of those, uh, rinsable ones. And then I thought, wait a minute, what's this filter inside? And I hadn't changed it in like four years. Oh, jeez, <laughs> It was ugly. Yeah. So I just put a new one in and it's like, oh my God, again, the night and day difference. <laughs> yeah. So just remember those air filtration things, they're great, but they do require maintenance. Nice. It's kind of a stupid thing to say, but yeah. Yeah. You, you can't just, just set it and it, forget you know? it. Yeah, you totally. Just... All right. Well, if you like what you hear today, you can actually help support us and keep the show going. You could set up a recurring or a one-time donation at woodtalkshow.com. You could also go to twwstore.com and pick up a Woodtalk t-shirt. Or if you want, you can go to the giveaway. Get yourself something for free. That's at woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway. You could leave us an iTunes review. Head into the iTunes store and search for the Woodtalk Show and click on ratings and reviews. And if you can, give us that five-star rating. We like that. And then if you uh, if you put it there, there's a good chance we're going to read it on the show. Now, it's been a while since I've read these, so I, there's no way I could acknowledge everybody here. But I thought this one was interesting. From San Diego Attorney, he says, three guys talking, uh, trying to be helpful and entertaining, and he gave us five stars. He says, I had originally not rated this show, but over time, it's grown on me. As with many listeners, I have been binge listening. I began to enjoy the banter and different perspectives and personalities of the hosts. Basically, it seems like three guys sitting around and talking about a subject they enjoy and understand. Uh, that's because that's what it is. Uh, yeah. none, none is arrogant and each knowledgeable and entertaining in his own way. The only other woodworking podcast I had rated before this was Shop Talk. And when I started, I thought it was the best. But as with many others, I find that it isn't on frequently enough to the point that I can't identify each host. With Wood Talk, after a few podcasts, the personalities become readily identifiable. So I like this review because what it says is, I don't really like them so much as I got used to them. <laughs> that's how it, right? uh, That's how Samantha views our marriage. Well, I was going to say, that's how most of us probably got our wives. So yeah. um, we're not too proud to take that kind of a fan. No, absolutely. I, I you know, not to Wear sound down to creepy. The that's that's what right. I'm all about. Exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to sound creepy, but yes, I will make you like me. And there you go. All right, good stuff. All right, Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you like me? If not, there's several Just different ways listening. that I can keep working on you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, you can you can leave a comment, a suggestion or a topic suggestion about how awesome we are. You have several different ways to do that. You can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at wood, <laughs> woodtalkshow.com. Well, I almost said woodwhisper.com. That, that's fine. But, they can go there. I don't know. That one's kind of iffy. So anyways, that email again, kickback at woodtalkshow.com. You can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find them over at woodtalkshow.com. Very nice. And hey, from now on, should have mentioned this before, um, we should give away our um, Twitter usernames because someone asked me that today. And I'm like, why don't we mention our uh our names on Twitter. So I'm at Wood Whisperer and Matt is at MBW Podcast and Shannon is at Renaissance WW. And I think for now on, we'll just put that into the contact info at the end of the show. I hope this yeah. doesn't say a lot about me, but I have such a hard time spelling Renaissance. Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite words for some reason. As, as far a lot as of people have that, come look at my uh, Google Analytics and you'll see just how many people can't spell Renaissance. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. It's one of my favorite words to spell. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, thanks hey. for listening, everyone, and we will catch you next time. See ya. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.